Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors, presented by FMG Suite. Listen to interviews with the movers, shakers, geniuses, and innovators of the financial advisory world. Visit FMGSuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. And now, without further delay, the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors. Hi, everybody. Mike Woods here, one of the founding members of FMG Suite. Welcome to the Market in Motion podcast for financial advisors presented by FMG Suite. Today, we're speaking with Lucy Robinson, Managing Director for AdvicePay, a billing and payment solution company designed for fee-for-service financial planning. AdvicePay has carved an interesting niche for itself. It helps advisors manage their billing. Whether it's billing for assets under management or billing for a one-hour retirement review, AdvicePay believes it has a better solution. AdvicePay can also help advisors introduce the concept of advice as a service. With the help of AdvicePay, advisors can turn some clients into a monthly subscription, which is a pretty clever concept. Lucy says it's all about setting expectations with clients and what's included in the subscription model. So take a listen. Today's podcast will open your eyes about different billing possibilities. Even if you have the perfect billing cycle, Lucy will open your eyes about what other options are available. Hope you enjoy the podcast. Spread the word. Lucy, it's great to have you on the podcast today. Hi, Mike. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, Lucy, can you give us a quick intro on yourself and a high-level understanding of how financial professionals would work with AdvicePay? Absolutely. So a little bit about my background. I started out as a retirement actuary. Mm. And found, while I loved the technical math side of that industry, I was really missing the interaction with people and wanted to be in a more service-oriented career, but keep that math technical background that I had. And so I made the decision to move into financial services, figuring that was the best mix of the two I could find. And so I got my CFP designation and started working as a client-facing advisor at a small RIA. And over time at that job, I really found I loved the operation side of the business. How do you run and scale a small growing business? How do you add technology to increase efficiency? And how do you work with really the advisors and the industry side of things? So I moved into kind of a split role at that firm where I was still working directly with advisors while also working as the director of operations within that RIA. And I continued to just love those elements I mentioned and ended up at AdvicePay, which really merged them all together. I was able to manage a small business and learn more about growing a company. I was able to work directly with advisors and help those advisors scale and grow their practices by adding technology solutions that increase efficiency and allow them to work in ways that they might not be able to otherwise. So at a high level, AdvicePay really is a technology solution. We're a payment processor, as you mentioned, that allows firms and financial planners to get paid through ACH, credit card, and debit card. So we Uh we still think of our competition as checks. And we're providing that solution to help automate payments that 
there wasn't a compliant billing solution for previously in the industry. Gotcha. I saw a statistic the other day that said um, uh, in the past year, something like only 65% of people wrote checks. So checks, you know, and it's all, and, but I always seem to get stuck behind that person at the grocery store. I don't know about yeah. you. Uh, <laughs> so so, so uh, I could imagine, though, where uh, checks are being used quite a bit for this type of service. Uh, the, 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 um, uh, it seems like it's, it's more of a natural to just write a check for a service. Correct. And what we're finding, though, is the people that typically want to adopt this fee-for-service model, which I know we'll get into, uh-huh. tend to be younger people. And younger people definitely don't want to write checks. No. You're lucky if they even have a checkbook. Boy, yeah, it's true. It's true. Well, my, um, my, my son, my 18-year-old son, did a job at Home Depot this summer. And for Home Depot to do direct deposit, they needed a copy of a check. And he comes back and he goes, Dad, what's a check? And I'm like, really? This is Home Depot, Fortune 500, uh, maybe an S&P 100 company. They still require 18-year-olds to have checks. They don't have those. So, yeah, so there's, it's fast changing. It's fast evolving. And it's you know, and technology firm like AdvicePay are the ones that really help help make those bridges available at this point. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's, let's hop in here. I wanted to talk about, uh, kind of give you an idea of how, how advice pay is specifically for those fee for service planning firms. What, what, how would you describe or what exactly is a fee for service? Yeah. So it fee for service is another billing model that we see used and growing rapidly in the financial services industry, but it's really not that different from most of the bills and services we're used to paying. So more and more of this subscription model is becoming popular and widely adopted. So you think of Netflix, you pay Netflix on a monthly basis, but you probably don't go into your Netflix account and, and pay it. It's you know set up automatically. You can change it if you need to, but you're paying for the, the service Netflix is providing right, right. with a fixed monthly payment. And that's pretty common across lots of industries. And we're seeing that occur and that shift take place in the financial services industry where clients are looking for advice and want access to a financial planner and are willing to pay that financial planner a flat fee. Almost always we're seeing on a monthly basis to have that trusted relationship with their financial advisor. Is it up to the advisor about how to structure those fees or what types of fees are included with each subscription? Correct. So that's a really good question and an important (laughs) thing for advisors to think about is how much are you charging? How frequently are you charging? So we see most common, you know, a monthly subscription works really well. That, you know, that's about 90% of the payments that are processed through advice pay. And then we'll see a variety of other options within that model. So some advisors might have a separate assets under management or AUM fee structure for the investment part. Mm -hmm. And then the fee-for-service model is really used for the financial planning piece. Other firms might tier their services. So they might have a level of financial planning they offer for people in a certain demographic with specific needs 
And then it might scale up to another service offering that is more involved for people who might have more complexity within their financial planning needs. Gotcha. Interesting. Fascinating. Can, can, give me, you know, as, before we leave this one, because I'm, 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 I'm fascinated by the fee for service in the Netflix type of model, um, very similar to a software as a service company where they charge a monthly fee. FMG is a software as a service company. We charge a monthly fee for uh, people to have access to their marketing tools, and some use them a lot, some use them a little. Uh, and we have various uh, programs that are designed to get people more engaged with their tools. Is it is it similar in this industry as well when you do a fee for service where where some of the uh, people are use the use the fees a lot and some use it less? Yeah, what we find works really well, and uh, I guess there's two two sides to this. One is setting mm-hmm. expectations as the advisor. What do you offer in a given year? What are the events a client should expect throughout the year? And, you know, so really that payment becomes almost an annual payment billed monthly, for example. And so you might not meet with your client every month. You might meet twice a year and then you're going to do a benefits review in the fall and certain tax things happen in the spring. You set the expectations around what services you provide and when a client can expect to receive those services. Then there's also the real life aspect of this, which applies whether you're using the fee-for-service model or, or some of the other models out there. Sometimes life is really busy and you have a ton of questions for your financial planner that seem to all come about at one time. And other times life is smooth sailing and you don't have a lot of financial surprises or life changes that maybe necessitate those additional conversations. So you smooth out the fees throughout the year, recognizing that there are going to be some ebbs and flows and in, in how many questions a client is having at that time. Mm. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. There are, there are those, those activities that generate a lot of, you know, changing jobs, uh, something like that, uh, a death in the family or something where there's an inheritance involved. Ah. Fascinating. Good stuff. Okay. Let me, let me jump to the next question here. It kind of uh, piggybacks on it a little bit, but how have you seen the industry and the, and the conversations around fees change in the last few years? How, how is it kind of more from this uh, and really kind of give me an idea of where it was before and now it's moving to this fee for service approach. Yeah. If we zoom out, the the industry really started as a commission-based industry. Right. And that's because you needed someone to help give you access to products, whether that be an insurance policy or an annuity or something else. You had to work with a broker who was able and you know licensed, had the infrastructure in place to be able to sell you that life insurance policy, as an example. Mm-hmm. And over time, we see the shift to this assets under management model, which says, you know, I will manage your assets and often do financial planning on the side, though it's not necessarily tied to the assets under management fee or pricing structure. And you pay me a fixed percentage of all of the assets that I'm managing for you. And typically, firms working with clients on an AUM basis, charge around 1% and have a minimum. So maybe they only work with clients who have at least 250K in investable assets. Maybe it's 500K and and kind of works its way up. Right. 
And, and what we've seen is the commoditization of a lot of these services, and, and this is driven in large part by technology. People can jump online and Google anything they want. They can use it a robo-advisor. You can even buy a life insurance policy online. And depending on your age and life situation and health and these things, you might not even need a medical exam. You just get the policy online. You don't need to go through anyone. And, and we're finding what people want and what can't be commoditized is the human connection. Someone who not only knows their financial situation, but their personal goals, their behavioral tendencies, someone who can hold them accountable to the financial progress they want to make and who is providing them with trusted, unbiased advice. And that's where we're seeing this kind of rise in the fee-for-service model. Not only are lots of industries moving this way, but in financial services specifically, people want to talk to someone to ensure they're on the right track, to help them make decisions. Uh, there's only so much you can Google. There's a lot there, but people want that relationship and are are willing to pay for the advice through a fee-for-service type model. Gotcha. You know, it, it, uh, it, it's so true. You, you see commercials all the time. You see them when you're surfing the internet. You see them on TV where there's... We'll pick on life insurance, but life insurance available for a 40-year-old non-smoker for just $29 a month. Right. Well, what does that mean? Is that good? Is that bad? Is that what I need for me and my family? You, you, there's that only that that satisfies the price side of it, but not the relationship side where someone would need to know what it what it does, what it doesn't do. When does it? Uh, how does it? Is it what I need? Is it not what I need? There, there's always that um, desire for more information, which you never get in the 30 second commercial spot. Absolutely. And we're seeing a lot of clients who want to be served, who want this advice, but don't meet the asset minimums from mm. a lot of firms to be able to uh, you know, get onboarded as a client. But what they do have is cash flow, whether they're high earners making money. Uh, you think of your doctor with a lot of student loan debt, but all of a sudden starts making hundreds of thousands of dollars. They have the cash flow to pay for quality financial advice. Entrepreneurs are another great example where this comes up. Their money is tied up in businesses. Uh, they have the cash flow, but maybe not the portfolio to work with an advisor on an AUM basis. And so this is really opening the doors for advisors to add a service model to an existing business, potentially start a, a new business under this model, but really serve it, serving clients who they haven't been able to previously um, because there wasn't a model. And you know, to go back to what we were saying before, if you're going to service these people um, efficiently and especially young people in, in some of these situations, checks is probably not the ideal way. Your, your right. younger okay. clients are typically going to want technology solutions that make it easy for them as well. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You know, you do, you know, you touched on, that was going to be my next question about people that are, that are cash flow rich, but really asset poor. And exactly. some of them are not necessarily asset poor. Uh, a lot of entrepreneurs will have, you know, will be paper millionaires, right? They're, they'll <laughs> yep. have investments in business that will be worth millions, but they haven't realized it yet. 
And this gives the advisor the opportunity to start that relationship, knowing that there might be something at the end of the rainbow for them, but, uh, but they can't make money off of these people right now, but boy, are they sure a good bet for the future. Right. And so pricing appropriately where it can be profitable today and you realize the potential of that client down the road, it's a huge opportunity for financial planners. Right. Got it. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let me, let me, uh, let me, let's give uh, advisors an idea of how this would fit into their tech stack. What, what, how does it, how does it fit in with their, with their CRM? They've got this, they've got other portfolio modeling software. Where, how does, how do they all fit together, Lucy? Yeah. If I think about all of the technology solutions out there, and there are a lot of them and, a, you know, a lot of really great solutions and you can add all of them. Most firms can't do that all at once. What are the core things that a financial planning firm needs? Uh, a communication tool, email, phone, ways that they can easily communicate with their clients and with their team. A document storage system, a way to organize all of the deliverables and other paperwork forms, data gathering information they're collecting for their clients. You mentioned the CRM. I think that is a hugely important tool. I know from working as an advisor how much we depended on that for workflows, for meeting scheduling, for task management, calendars, all of those things. You need financial planning software and you need a way to get paid. Um, there are a lot of other things I could go into, but those are sort of the the five that I think are some of the, the main foundational building blocks you need within a firm. Of course, if you're doing AUM, you need some of the portfolio management solutions you've talked about uh, and mentioned. So advice pay is the piece, is the way, the technology solution that allows you to get paid within your tech stack. So in an efficient, secure, compliant way, especially for those doing fee-for-service billing. So we have built into our system a way for a financial planning agreement to be uploaded, sent out to the client with the payment request. You ensure that the agreement gets signed before the payment is received so that all of the paperwork is in place at the onset of a relationship. Then the payment gets set up and we have ways to bill you know, different frequencies as well as I recommend firms include an upfront fee. And so with an advice pay, you can do that. Charge an upfront fee plus the ongoing monthly fee, let's say. And, and that all happens in one workflow that is easy for the client to see both that financial planning agreement and the payment plus the ongoing all in one place. Gotcha. And it sounds like uh, it helps the, the advisor cross the, uh, cross the T and dot the I from a regulatory perspective, meaning making certain, certain documents are signed in on, on file before they proceed with paying and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. I know from my days as an advisor, clients are ready to get started and uh, signing the paperwork is not the most glamorous part of the process. So making it seamless, making it electronic and kind of a step that they're going to get notified about right as they go to pay and it, the system prompts them to, to sign before they're able to pay allows that to be a seamless process. And then yes, for the advisors, they can know 
I got the paperwork signed and now the relationship building that financial plan can really begin. So if someone, if someone were uh, newly independent, if they're just setting up an RIA, uh, is, how would they, how would they get started with the fee for service? Would this be something they would have to um, kind of research on their own and, and bring in or uh, give give kind of a, a step-by-step of what they would take to get be successful? Sure. So there are a couple pieces of this. On the one side, there's the compliance, the regulatory, the registration side of it, all of the things an advisor needs to do to set up a new firm and ensure they are meeting the requirements and registered at the state and or SEC level, depending on their size, those things. Right. On the other side of it, there's, okay, I'm going to start a fee-for-service financial planning firm how much am I going to charge? Like now what? And I think to be successful, advisors really need to think about who are they going to serve, what services they're going to offer, and how much does it cost? Essentially getting honed in on who's your niche? Who are you reaching out to? Because it's one thing to say, uh, $300 a month. That sounds good. That sounds reasonable. But that number really depends on who you're serving and what their cash flow looks like, what services you're offering them. And you know from, from your marketing expertise kind of how important it is to have clear messaging. Yes, absolutely. And so I think that is really important, especially when you're starting a new firm. It can be easy to say, I'll work with anyone. And what advisors I think will find is that it might take a little bit longer at the onset getting really clear in in those questions, who you serve, what you offer, how much it costs, will help advisors starting a firm be more successful in the long term. Uh, Make it clear, you know, what services you offer, and that helps give your clients the best experience. You become the expert in that niche, and it's easier for your clients to refer you because they know exactly what problems you solve, what types of clients you work with. And then you're able to get better and better at your processes, your deliverables, because it is more consistent with one type of client. Right, right. Yeah, as you, as you, as we started off with, setting expectations on the front end is critical. Uh, Absolutely. So everybody knows what they're doing. You know, this reminds me. I, you know, I, I, a good friend of mine is a doctor. He's got a works with a wonderful financial advisor. Has has a great plan. We were out to dinner one night and the advisor said, you know, I just, I, you know, I'm very comfortable with it, but, you know, I've been, I, 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 I want a second opinion on something uh, about he was buying a building and how it worked and all that kind of stuff through a, through a, a retirement account. Does, does the fee for service kind of enable a, a, an advisor to, to do a one-time evaluation? Does it, does it allow them that flexibility where they can say, hey, I, I can create a plan for you and, and this is the fee and here's the plan and um, then that's it. Uh, is, is that, is that, do those types of fees come in in addition to really the monthly recurring fees as well? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because that is a really great point and a great option under the fee-for-service model. One of the things that is true for most of us when we're trying something new, if we've never worked with a financial planner before, or you know another specialist in an industry, 
it's it's hard to know exactly what you're going to get. What is this what does this service look like? What can I expect in the relationship? There's that expectation word again. Sure. And giving people that entry point with a one-time financial plan or a project-based type of engagement is a really great option to help build trust, help you both get to know each other, show them the value that you provide, as well as help clients kind of remove some of that barrier to entry. So I might feel like today, I really just have one problem to solve. Maybe I got some inheritance money and I'm looking for some advice on you know, what, how should I use this money? I I don't just want to put it all in an investment pot and I'm not just looking for some asset management. I really have some questions about how to use it, but I never worked with a financial planner. I'm, I just need help today. And you can engage in that one-time relationship. And ideally um, that relationship becomes an ongoing relationship Maybe not immediately, but who are, if, if things go well with the one-time engagement, who are they going to call when the next problem comes up? And what we find, it's very common working, working with clients that there, there's going to be a next financial question. And so that's a great way to start working with clients, build your pipeline, and solve problems, really provide great value to clients and help them kind of learn what financial planning is all about. And when that next question comes up, they're coming to you and then starting to see, oh, it would be nice if this were an ongoing relationship. Whenever I have a question, I can call and they're also providing value to me. They've got a service calendar. I know exactly what I'm getting and I can get that consistent advice throughout the year and beyond as the relationship continues. Yeah. I know as I worked with the person, um, I looked for fee for service, fee for plan, develop a one-time fee. Yeah, I searched the internet for everything yep. and only found one person that was in, we're in the San Diego area in, in, in probably within like a two or 300 mile radius because we wanted, we were going to go up to LA at anywhere to Orange County, down to San Diego. Uh, there was only one person that had those keywords associated with their website. Wow. Uh, and, and so as, as I, I, and so as we're doing this podcast today, I'm thinking, boy, having those keywords on your website, uh, there's, there's many people that have those types of questions that just want to uh, maybe a second opinion on, uh, maybe an aspect of their financial life. And, uh, this really, this fee for service kind of really helps scratch that itch. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and we're finding, depends on the person and you talk about kind of looking within your area we're finding that more and more uh, firms who who are using this approach are working virtually with clients the the world is shifting by uh, the growth of technology as well as kind of necessity over the last year and a half we've ha- had to become more location independent and that hopefully opens up the doors for advisors to work with clients all over. And so they can really hone in on a niche based on the type of people and the problems they're solving as opposed to where they live. Right. And that was, we did this probably a year and a half, two years ago. So it was before the pandemic, but you're right. There's, there's no reason that we wouldn't expand the search at this point, just based on uh, how the industry has evolved. Yep. 
Okay, Lucy, one final question. I, I wanted to kind of look at some some kind of mistakes that advisors make as they're as they're setting up their business. It sounds like uh, you know we've covered some of them, but I wanted to kind of uh, pull it together here at the end. Uh, do advisors get uh, is the does the industry take them on a track to create a model and that model needs to be modified? Bent, what give me an idea of what mistakes they can make when they're when they're getting get, getting their building their business as as they're putting structure to it. Yeah, I, it's such a great question and important to think through. I think that. There are so many options sometimes that it can be easy to go with a more uh, scattershot solution, so to speak. And, you know, we talked about the niche, getting clear on who you serve, what problems you solve. And, And I think that is really important. I also think and see that there is a hesitation to adopt technology quickly because when you're either starting out and you have a million things you could be working on and you maybe don't have that many clients so you could tweak this and that over and over. Or if you're a more established firm and adding fee for service, adopting technology can become this almost mental block or hurdle where firms, advisors will say, I'm so busy, I don't have time to research and implement a technology solution. And, you know, the goal with good technology is that it's efficient and intuitive so that you can get that set up quickly. And it should be solving problems for the planner and often for the client. And the, the more you delay implementing technology solutions that add efficiency, the longer you delay those efficiency gains. And if your business is growing that time, the more clients you're going to have to add to the technology system down the road as opposed to implementing it today. And, you know, this can be an advisor doing this, you know, hiring an intern, having a team member who really specializes in this. There are a lot of options to help get that technology implemented. And I, I think the industry as a whole can be quicker to adopt technology solutions that, you know, take some of the upfront time today to implement them and then receive the the longer term benefits from doing so. Advisors are so good at helping people. They want to be client facing. And, you know, we, we think we see, um, and from my experience as an advisor, when you implement the right technology, you're able to do what you do best more, which is work with clients. And that's really what we're hoping Advice Pay allows advisors to do more of, serve their clients and add a streamlined billing solution so they're not spending time billing, so they're not spending time tracking down checks and that sort of thing. So I would encourage firms to, to look at where there are holes in their efficiency processes and and look for technology solutions uh don't be don't be as intimidated by by implementing a new technology tool to to really give an advisor more time to to work with clients boy and if if the pandemic has uh, done anything for advisors it certainly has given them that get out of jail free card with technology I can't tell you how often uh, I do this podcast and hear from industry watchers that say uh, advisors that were in the stone age with their technology 
got a free pass to upgrade everything over the last year and a half because they could, because they were going remote, because everyone in the country was going through a similar circumstance. And boy, if uh, continuing that momentum with something like advice pay would just seem very natural for their clients at this point. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, It's a very good assessment of the last year and a half. And we certainly hope that AdvicePay provides that solution for advisors looking to adopt the fee-for-service model, to replace checks, and and really add that efficiency to their process. Ah, Good stuff. Lucy, thanks so much for taking time out today. This has been very informative. I I really love hearing about these new technology solutions that come on board because they really... um, uh, they they help revolutionize really what's going on, and they they look at something that is so kind of so established and so uh, kind of set in its way, and really bring a bring a fresh new perspective to it. And uh, uh, that's advice. That's awesome to hear about advice pay. So uh, great stuff today. Thanks for sharing. Absolutely, it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate the opportunity, Mike. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to Market Emotion. Stay tuned for our next broadcast. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Market Emotion podcast for financial advisors. If you found this episode informative, please share with your peers and colleagues. Visit fmgsuite.com to discover more great resources and products to transform you into an extraordinary marketer and grow your advisory. Subscribe and get updates delivered right to your inbox.